think it's a. Uh... Welcome, welcome, welcome all. We are excited to be here. Today is January 9th, 2024, so we are nine days into 2024, guys. I know I'm trying to do my math, but I'm not that good with math, but I'll do my best. Uh, we have on the show tonight, or today, this morning, my good friend, Mr. Barry Habib, CEO of MBS Highway. How you doing, Bear? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Yeah, nine days in already. Nine days in. Now, Bear, I was going through your bio this year. And every year, your bio gets longer and longer with more and more accolades, man. It's just amazing what you're doing out there in the world. It's just powerful, man. It's so powerful. Well, thank you, buddy. I try and do some. Uh, I try. I try and you know do some good things out there. Yeah, I mean, I got on the. I know that you did the best-selling author for Money in the Streets. You got the uh, the three-time Crystal Ball Award by Zillow and Pulsonomics for the most accurate real estate forecast. Well, you know, I'm trying to get a fourth one. Our forecast for this year for six point eight percent might come in right on the nose for uh, real estate values. So we're hoping. We're hoping. Wow, wow, man! Congratulations, man! So so power, so good stuff there, man. So anything going on interesting in the market, Bear? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's. Uh... There's a lot, you know, we just came out with a forecast and our forecast basically breaks it down to supply and demand in, in every different area, you know, whether it be where interest rates are headed, it's going to be the supply of paper that's coming out on the market versus can we sop it up and what's going to be the demand for that? Uh, what are the Fed's reactions going to be to inflation? Uh, how are we going to handle the situation as the reverse repos drain down? And what are we going to do with quantitative tightening? Mm. And of course, real estate, real estate's all about supply and demand. So lots yeah. lots going on it's going to be an interesting year but i think it's going to be i think it's going to be overall a much better year we see real estate volume of transactions increasing 15 to 20 percent so that should be helpful i mean this is albeit from low levels but it should be helpful and i do think that there's hope that there's hopes for rates to be um, significantly better than what we've seen in 2023 yeah. um, it'll be it'll be very much dependent on where both inflation goes and what happens with quantitative tightening i mean it's interesting i'm hearing rate cuts from the fed from anywhere from three times a year this year to six times this year you know what i mean so and the fed is um in their dot plots they are mostly not everyone there's 19 fed members two of the fed members said no rate cuts Although one of them, I'm sure, is Michelle Bowman, who yesterday just said, hey, our thought process evolving. She was talking about rate hikes. So she might she might come around a little bit more. Um, but there's one Fed member that sees six Fed rate cuts. There are the majority of them between two and four rate cuts. So the mean forecast is for for three Fed rate cuts. But the market is handicapping a little bit more. The market, you know, this the handicaps fluctuate. So currently it was six quarter point cuts or 150 basis points worth but currently it is 125 basis points that is the current market forecast and that was after friday's jobs number which was really five just a bs number is a bullshit number you, you, uh, you let's talk about that for a second because i've heard other people say the same thing like they're not believing this jobs report that comes out recently on the last few times what is that about well if you take a look at the way that the mechanism for the jobs numbers come out it is a herculean task 
with 168 million roughly people in the labor force to try and figure out how many jobs were lost and created and come up with a net number every month. It's difficult. So you have to rely a lot on modeling. And that modeling is very flawed and very faulty. One of the big, so, so if you take a look at the way that it's constructed, we'll get a little wonky quickly here. So mm -hmm. uh, the, there's the business survey and then there's the household survey. So the business survey, they survey businesses. So the business survey, you split it in two. They take 125,000 large companies and those large companies, they get a very poor response rate, less than 40%. So now you got less than 50,000 companies that will tell you the amount of job gains versus loss. Now that's valuable information. But then the other half of it is called the birth death model. This is where they get medium and small size businesses to tell you how much. Now, they're not going to survey the owner of a delicatessen, okay? but what they are going to do is they're going to take a look at something called the birth death model. How many businesses were born and how many businesses closed during a month? Then they have to do guesswork. How many people do we think worked at that business? Mm. So it is a very flawed methodology. And that's why there are so many revisions. Now, that's half the survey. The other half of the survey is called the household survey. So they actually call people. They call about 60,000 people. They don't get full responses. They get another maybe half of them respond. So, again, it is a limited amount. But of those people that respond, they ask them if they're working during the period. And this is where they try and determine how many people are working and the rate of unemployment. So the rate of unemployment is based upon how many unemployed people and you divide that into the labor force. But if you haven't looked for a job for the last four weeks, they eliminate you. So if you're unemployed yeah. for longer than four weeks and you stop looking for whatever reason, you're no longer counted as unemployed. So it, it's really flawed because there's a lot of people that fall into that category. That's picked up in something called the U6 number, uh, which is the overall unemployment number. And that was 7.1%. So a very different story there yeah. than the you know, 3.7. Is there a better methodology that you, that you've seen that you would ADP say is better. ADP okay. is better. They, they take 20 million records, but they follow 10 million of where they could take the same employee and track them over time. And they're good at wage gains. They are reasonably good at job creations because not everyone is on ADP, but it's a good sampling. You know, it is, it is a healthy sampling. So you can pick up some good data there. Look, bottom line, Bobby, is we have seen revisions to the headline number so the headline number comes out it's great this and that oh my gosh look at how many yeah. jobs the economy is great you yeah. get the employment secretary come out and the administration takes a victory lap but do you know that 11 of the last 12 were revised significantly lower to the tune of on average forty thousand a month and if you take out government jobs which is a bullshit calculation mm. it is 12 of 12 revisions lower and the government doesn't even bother to be like cute about their bullshit that they put out there the the, the last few months like 51,000 51,000 it's just like let's plug this in for what it is regardless of what reality is so and those are not cyclical changes you know if the economy is declining you're not going to see less or more government workers you want to look at what's happening in the private sector and the private sector is not as strong nowhere near as strong as these numbers would indicate yeah. and then the other aspects of it that you have to you have to take into consideration is is that it's not only just the job creations, but hours worked. Hours worked now is at the lowest level since 2020. It doesn't seem like a lot, but that's equivalent to like two and a half million jobs worth. There's only 34.3 hours worked a week. That's a half an hour less. It's like two and a half million jobs lost over the year. So look, the jobs picture is not bad, but it's not where you would go out and celebrate this. You know, you see yeah. all of these downward revisions. Uh, it's to me, it seems like the 
employment picture has a trend of less and less and less jobs being created. And don't forget, Fabi, that you can't go by the initial jobless claims, which are very low. But a few problems with that is that, you know, if, if I'm paying a headhunter to hire somebody, or if I had a hard time hiring somebody over the last couple of years, I might be a little bit more you know, reluctant to let that individual mm. know just quickly. So yeah. uh, the first step is, you know, hiring slow. And then you see, well, the first thing really is job posting slow, which we've seen, then hiring slow, which we're seeing. And then eventually people get let go. So we'll yeah. get there. So one thing I was going to actually start off with, we, we kind of took this other highway, you know, to quote your MBS highway, right? I want to kind of dive into MBS highway a little bit because I was really, I've been, Lately, I've been using MBS Highway a lot more than I had in the several years, right? And I love what you've done with it, by the way, right? So I want to know something, Bear. Like, I remember years ago when I first met you, like, I don't even remember this, 2002, right? You were big on the 25-day moving average as the leash of the bond market for the MBSs, right? Is that still true, today? Because I'm looking at that rate, and it seems like with the last couple of days, we were right about that 25-day moving average. Yeah, we've danced on it the last seven days. Well, I mean, that's one, one of the components. Uh, you know, maybe we just happen to be talking about it on that day. But yeah. um, the, the reason why you call it, a, a, there's, there's something called the leash effect. If the if pricing gets too far above or below it, it tends to be snapped back on as if it was a leash to the 25-day moving average. So there's some sort of a gravitational pull. But uh, the 200-day the moving average is, is a more important one. And right now we're essentially right underneath that on the 10-year treasury. So that's a very important level as well. So all technical aspects, you know, the candlesticks, the Western technicals, you will have to kind of have a good background on all of it and put them all together in a confluence of things. They all do get trumped by big news that comes out. So it's, it's, it's quite an artistic way that you have to combine these things and look at it and create a, a story that comes from it and it tends to be quite reliable, not 100%, nothing is, but it is quite reliable. It amazes me to this day, being a student of this for over 30 years, uh, that uh, that these technical signals that we receive are, are quite reliable, and uh, they do much more often than not uh, give you good accuracy on which way things are going. How do you, I know this is kind of a, maybe an awkward, I don't know, Bear, but how do you feel when like mortgage professionals like myself come up to you and just tell you like the impact you or MBS Highway has made in their careers? I mean, I'm sure you get told that a lot, right? And sometimes maybe you get numb to it, but there's got to be some kind of feeling there attached, right? Never, ever get numb to it, Foggy. Foggy, it's, um, it, it is, you know, I'm, I'm at a stage in my life where, you know, God's been very good to me. I grew up extraordinarily poor and I've been blessed and been able to to do some things that I didn't even imagine could be possible uh, from a achievement point of view. So I do this now because a passion, because of meaning, and because of the desire to want to do good and to get that type of reaction, let you know you're on the right path. So it's exactly what um, I hope for. We don't always get it right. Hey, listen, let's face it. I'm the first to admit that you, know, you, do, you do make a lot of missteps along the way. Uh, won't be the first won't by many times, and it certainly won't be the last either. You know, last year we thought that in 2023, middle of the year, the rates would come down. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we made a lot of good calls on rates. And, and certainly if you mark it, if you look at what we did intra, you know, days and intra months and looking at the market, we, we called it accurately. But when we had to make a call as a forecast at the beginning of the year, boy, you really put your neck out on the line. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, what we didn't see coming was a lot of the things that caused rates to move higher. And again, it was supply and demand. It was a lot of the excess 
a debt that we had agreed to. There was a deal that was made. I'm not going to get political here, but the Biden sure. administration and Kevin McCarthy made a deal and they removed the debt ceiling and they had two, $2 trillion. It's almost incredible to how much paper had to be put out there. Yeah. Now, this paper not only had to be absorbed by the market, which, you know, anything that's supply and demand, we have a lot more supply that's got to be absorbed. Well, you got to entice people to do it. So it's a higher rate. We didn't see that when we made our forecast in December of 2022, right? It happened in June of 2023. So it caught us by surprise as it did many. Um, but the other thing too, Bobby, is that the fed continuing to hike rates kept the normal buyers on the sidelines. I mean, think about it. Let's just say you're managing a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Why would you go ahead and buy these treasuries when you knew that the yields on these things would go up because the Fed was going to keep hiking? Right. So that would be like saying, oh, I want to buy into a CD today, knowing full well that they'd be a better rate in the future. So what did they do? They used this reverse repo facility and banks put their money in the equivalent of a money market. Mm -hmm. Knowing that as the Fed hiked rates, which they were anticipating doing, they were going to get a higher and higher and higher return. So this facility hit two and a half trillion dollars. Now it's been drained. <clears throat> and that's why you've seen rates come down, down to about 700 billion to 800 billion in that range. The thing of it is, is that as that comes back towards zero, the problem that you run into is where is all the buying going to be coming from, from these treasuries? Mm -hmm. So what we have to hope for is that in the second half of 2024, the big question mark is, will the Fed stop quantitative tightening? Because that's pouring an extra $1.1 trillion of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities on the market. <clears throat> now, the Fed's not going to buy. It's not going to be quantitative easing, but we want them to slow that down. It's got a multiplier effect. If they slow that down and the Fed's cutting, we should have a good year for interest rates. Hmm. What do you think, like, with the evolution of AI and all this technology that's coming around the high? I mean, we're all into it, right? We're about a year into AI development. And obviously, MBIS Highway, uh, and I want to keep talking about that a little bit, is, is you guys are always kind of bringing some new stuff. Where do you see the evolution of MBS Highway with the new technology? Is there anything coming on the horizon that you can talk about? We do. Uh, we, we, we use we use, uh, we use AI. Uh, we try to... Um, to balance things here because you know ai doesn't have all the answers and it's relatively new but we, we use it certainly and i think that it's difficult to quantify where it will go um, i think it's going to have a very meaningful impact in streamlining and having things evolve more rapidly you know there's risks that you run as well so sure. um, you know the, the real answer is it's difficult to quantify the impact but the impact will certainly be great yeah, I mean, I'm seeing AI in so many different variations right now. It seems like it's becoming almost like a buzzword, like no carbs. Like everything now also has AI infused into it. I can't understand all that, like what happened in 12 months. And AI experts <laughs> that have evolved out of nowhere. It's difficult for anyone to be considered an AI expert because it's, it's, it's so, so, so uh, quick to evolve. Yeah, yeah. It changes so rapidly. I think that uh, a more appropriate would be an AI student, um, but um, yeah, you know, people are gonna people are gonna label themselves whatever they want to label themselves. So look, Bear, 2023 was a rough year for loan officers. You and I have been in the industry. By the way, just a little side note: January 3rd was 30 years in the industry for me. So 30 years, officer. I know you've been in a little bit longer, but you know, what I mean, 30 is like that was a heck of a milestone for myself. And uh, I had to think to myself: like 2023 really was a rough year. 
it was a rough year for loan officers, it was a rough year for the industry, it was a rough year for a lot of people. I mean, where do you see 2024 as far as loan officers in specific, not the market itself, but how loan officers can position themselves to have the right mindset when it comes to like, how do you see them engaging the, 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 the consumer, refinance opportunities, purchase opportunities, that kind of stuff? So it's a great question. So between us, we've got you know, 66, 67 years of experience <laughs> here. But most importantly, Fabi, I think it's that we have grown over that experience. It's not like many, unfortunately, people have, you know, they might say they're in the business 10 years, but it might be that same year 10 times. Mm. There's a big difference there. So growing and learning, which we both have and share a thirst for, is is very critical. You know, I, I love the question that you asked because when you think about it, 2023, unfortunately, saw a lot of people leave the industry, both real estate and mortgage. And you know, it, the numbers are always gray and hard to quantify, but it does appear that there is a large segment that has left, maybe as much as 50%, who knows, maybe more, maybe a little less. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just don't have that data. I'm just going anecdotally from what I'm hearing. And, um, and there are others that claim that they have the data, but they they really don't because there's so many people that are not licensed. You know, the whole banking sector mm -hmm. is not licensed, and there's there's a lot. Um, but there has been a big departure, and of course, listen, we wish well for those people, right? We 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 don't you know we don't want to see people struggle out there. We want people to do well. We'd like to see people be prosperous. But what that really means is it's almost kind of like, you know, if you watch Squid Games, you know, congratulations because you've made it to the next round. You know, so <laughs> if you survived 2023, you're into 2024, you made it to the next round. Good analogy. <laughs> but, but you know what that also means, Fabio, that's even much more important than that, is that your competition now is much more stiff. Mm. And what this tells us is if you're originating in 2024 and you want to make it to the following round as well, then what you better do is raise your game. Mm. And that's what this is all about. The days of people throwing deals at you are over. We know that. So now it's a matter of you have to you have to win that customer's trust by being a better resource. You mentioned AI. So do we not think that online would be able to answer questions that you know most customers would have by using this? Mm -hmm. Do we not think that consumers are going to be able to be educated uh, at a higher level themselves? Do we not think that you know, it is going to become a way to cut costs to a consumer by saying, if we don't have to pay a loan officer to, to handle these things. So these are real questions. So how do we, how do we get to the next round? How do we survive in this market? The way to do it is to create more value for your customer. And for me, the way it's always been for me is with, with knowledge, with education, with really being able to understand and interpret the marketplace. And, you know, that's what we try and do every day at MBS. How is we try and provide the originator with that, that ability to create more value because they know what's going on in every real estate market. They know how to quantify the benefits. They know how to show people how to save money on a debt consolidation refinance or move up debt consolidation purchase. They know how to be able to use math to quantify mm. why they should not wait for rates to come down and why what, what marry the home and date the rate is a very cute saying, but we bring the math behind it and the technology and the forecasting behind it to show you the quantifiable benefit of marrying, buying the home today and dating the rate, meaning taking the rate out that's higher today and refinancing it in the future, incorporating all those things. Also, bidding over asking price to win the home of your dreams in a competitive mm -hmm. market. You know, how many originators out there today, Fabi, have several prequals? 
So here's what happens. The realtor calls and says, oh, they finally found some place. You know, we've been looking forever. And with the lack of inventory, this was, was a home that, do, that matches what they want. And they're going to go full price. Great. Then they call up later. So they got outbid. Uh, an originator would normally say, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm right here if you need me. That isn't, that isn't the originator that's going to be successful. You know what the originator that's going to be successful is going to say? They're going to say, Listen, I'm sorry to hear that, but maybe there's a way for them to get the home and win this home of their dreams. Maybe we can show them, first of all, to make sure if it's possible for them to bid more based upon qualifications, which I can do. But what I can also do is show you that because I have appreciation for every market and we could take a look and see if they bid X amount over to win the home, how long will it take for them to break even? And then where do we look in, let's say, five years to see is this a very profitable situation? If we show them these numbers, maybe they might be willing to bid that much above asking price. They get the home of their dreams. They are profitable. And then you get a transaction instead of losing one. This is what the originator of 2024 needs to be doing. Yeah. If you want yeah. to really excel. So even though that there's less loan officers, the loan officers who are left are are like you're in your world. Yeah, they're stiffer. There's like you're in the playoffs now. Season's <laughs> over, right? And so now the best whatever number of teams there are now, right? They're 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 playing. So you're not going to get a easy game come Sunday or Saturday. That's right. It's a great way to look at it, brother. Love that. Love that. With with the market analysis tools that MBH offers, I mean MBS Highway offers. I got sorry. You. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I know you you mentioned that bidding thing you know i mean with analysis stuff bid over ask right at what point does does the customer say hey listen i like that but i i really just it, i can't get it through my head like mentally i know that emotionally i just can't buy into it because there's emotion right because when you're dealing with consumers it could make logical sense but emotionally it doesn't work where could a loan officer at, like intersect at that point so there's a couple of things we have to understand is, you know, it's uh, number one, not everybody's going to be your, your customer. Okay. So, you know, um, <laughs> brings me back to a chapter in my book when I talk about when I learned how to juggle. And uh, when, when I first learned how to juggle, believe it or not, there's actually juggling instructors. And, and, and I actually taught my son and Dan is like phenomenal juggler. Wow. He could do four and over the behind the <laughs> nice. far advanced than me. But Dan's one of those guys, that whatever he does, he does extremely well. Um, so when I learned, the instructor says, okay, we have to throw them up in a certain way, but then you have to let them fall. I was like, why are you teaching me like to let them fall? And he says, and this was a very, very interesting lesson. He said, because no one's going to be perfect and they're going to fall. And if you're mm. panicked over letting them fall, you'll never be a good juggler. Mm, mm, mm. And it's just like that with deals. See, if you think you need every single deal and you can't, Acknowledge the fact that some people aren't a good customer. Some realtors, not a good realtor match for you. Some transactions just aren't meant to be. You're going to lose some, no matter how good you are. If you can't be at peace with that, if you can't understand, that, I'm not saying be a good loser or be satisfied with that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There comes a point in time where you have to say, okay, let's move on. Um, I've seen so many people beat themselves up, get themselves in a bad place mentally. You know, so you talked about mindset, right? So, what we want to do here is we want to do everything we can do to be prepared to win. Have I become the best loan officer I can be? And this is something you just got to look in, your, in the mirror. Do you understand the market? Have you done your reading? Have you done the things to make sure that you are truly an expert and not a salesperson in your marketplace? Do you know what the appreciation levels are? Do you, are you working with the tools and are you an expert in them? Mm -hmm. then, then if you present them correctly, 
And, and by the way, are you working on your presentation? Are you standing in front of a freaking mirror and just presenting as if you would? Wow. I've done it forever. Listen, I've been presenting professionally for so many years, but ask the people in my office how often we practice. Every single presentation I do, we sharpen it after every single one I do. And Fabi, there are hundreds and hundreds that I do every year. Easy. Live, I've cut it back down. It's a lot less now, maybe like 30 or 40. Mm -hmm. But I do a couple of hundred video presentations, virtual presentations here. After every single one of them, we go back and we look, what could be said better? What could have been done better? Let's make this slide a little bit different to change it. Because remember, I'm changing my presentation and involving it every single mm -hmm. time. What would tell a better story? This is every single time. And I've been doing this for since 1992 professionally, where I get paid for it since 1992. So, you know, we're talking about uh, about 32 years, and this is still every single time has to get better. It's amazing so, when, 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 we, when, when, I talk, when I get a chance to talk to people like you and other people in, in the same realm, that the student is always there. The student is always eager. The student is always open-minded. My dad, before he passed at 92, got by the grace of God, I mean, always said, I'm always learning every morning. Like a week before he passed, Bear, he said to me, I got a new assistant. Her name is Siri. He mm -hmm. had figured out how to use Siri on his Apple iPhone that I got him. And well, being a student is really important, Fabi. That's, uh, that's, you know, and, and being curious. Yeah. You know, and, and having the mindset of, you know, so mindset, what can I be doing better? Yeah, great. You know, is great. that something that you guys are asking yourself is what, what can I be doing better? Uh, every time you speak to a customer, could I have done that better? Even if you knocked it out of the park, could you do better? Or let's re redefine the things that you're doing well and make sure that you can apply them the next time. So I think sometimes with the mortgage business, we get kind of blinded by their paycheck. You know, for the first time, a lot of loan officers start making good money, right? Let's face it, this, this business, you can make some really good money in this business at middle amount of effort. Uh, and they get blinded by that. And then they realize that, you know, I don't need to do what they're talking about. I can just kind of coast on these until they can't coast. And it's 2024. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people did have a wonderful period of time during 2020 and 2021, part of 2022, where transactions were difficult to even keep up with. You know, so things have changed. We know that. And you always go back to the basics. Look, if, if you're a student and your mindset is in the right place and your work ethic is one of constantly being better and using the right tools, then you will succeed enormously in a great market. But you will also do better than your peers, significantly yeah. better than your peers in the markets that are more challenging, like we saw in 2023. Um, this market is going to be better, but it's going to have more difficult competition. AI is entering the realm as, as, as another potential thing to be on the horizon to look out for. So I, I believe that you need to have all the skill sets and all the tools and be as sharp as possible. And that means practice. I mean, practice, practice, practice. It's, yeah. And it's not just practice. Perfect practice makes perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. So... Um, the point of the juggling and dropping the balls is that you said, what do you do when the customer just doesn't see it? If you've exhausted that, but you've done a good job, then you'd be at peace with that. Look, that's, that's fine. If they don't see it, they don't see it. You move on. Yeah. And, that, and that's all there is to it. You lose a deal, time, you move on. I remember one time you said, you don't want to spend 45 minutes learning a new product, but you want to do my loan. Forget about it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And it's so true, right? Like you want to do the loan, but you don't want to learn new techniques. So yeah. I think we're always left to learn. We'll always be learning. 
Yeah, that's the, the motto for two. Well, the beautiful thing about it is it's not time wasted. It's time invested. And that's the thing that, that you know, just is, is, is a very big thing people have to understand is there's ways that you can waste time. And sometimes you want to waste time, quite honestly. You've got to shut your brain down. Sure. You know, hey, look, at, at night I'll watch a mindless show. Just I, 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 really, could I be doing something more productive? I could, but that's that's okay because that's taking my brain and just shutting it down and mm -hmm. slowing it down. So that's, that's fine. But there are much of the time that you want to spend improving and investing because, you know, just think about the leverage you get on that. If you, yeah. if you learn something and you leverage that, then you can use it how many times, Yeah, you know, yeah. that that's the beauty of, of being a student and learning. So bear, look, I don't want to get political. I know you don't want to get political, but we are in an election year cycle. So the election year cycle always has an impact on economic rates, economics, right? No matter whether you like it or not. How do, you, how do you think the current cycle, the way it's trending, and I'm, I'm no prognosticator of anything, right? That's my wife. Um, but based on what we're seeing right now, is this going to have an impact on mortgage rates by the end of the year? Well, if you go right to the Fed, right? So Trump appointed um, Powell, but Powell doesn't like Trump. And... Biden wanted Lael Brainerd, so Powell doesn't really have an allegiance towards Biden. And this is kind of the end of Powell's run anyway. He's not up for reappointment. This is one of the reasons we got in trouble in 2021. Powell mm. wanted to be reappointed. He kept rates lower for longer than he should have, created more inflation than we, we you know, to, than we should have seen. But he did not want to increase rates before the midterm elections came up. I mean, this is, you know, this is how you, this is how the world, you know, mm -hmm. operates here. Okay. So, um, unfortunately we, uh, um, we are in a situation where, you know, politics does play a role and it really shouldn't. Um, what we see here for 2024 is that a lot's going to depend on where inflation comes in and where the job numbers come in. Just recently, the 19 fed members thought where, um, the, unemployment rate would be. And 12 of the 19 members said that the unemployment rate would be 4.2% or under between 38 and 4.2%. Mm -hmm. So that means if the unemployment rate gets to from its current level of 3.7 to 4.2, which I think is very realistic, that means 12 of the 19 Fed members will have to reassess what they had anticipated. And that is why you'll probably get more than three Fed rate cuts. You'll probably get more than that in a more rapid fire term the second half of the year. I think the second half of the year should should be uh, should be interesting. And that's when you're going to also start to get the political pressure um, to say, hey, look, you know, the Fed should not be uh, should not be in a position where they're going to be keeping rates higher than they than they should be and um, and stressing the economy, because right now we are very restrictive. It's it's a little bit complicated how you figure out if the Fed's accommodative or restrictive, but you take mm. the, the Fed funds rate. So 5.3875 is between the range of five and a quarter and five and a half. Then you subtract from that the three-month expectation for inflation, which, you know, it's it's probably around 3%, but maybe a little bit less than that. So if you take the expectation for inflation and you subtract that from there, then you're about 2.3. And then you have this number that's called like this, this R star number, um, around three quarters of a percent. The Fed is restrictive right now by somewhere, somewhere around one and a half percent. 
Hmm. That means the Fed could cut one and a half percent and not be accommodative, not be stimulative to the economy. If the Fed cut one and a half percent, then that would just be neutral. So right now they are very, very restrictive. And you add to that the quantitative tightening. And we are in a situation where the economy is being is being forced to to slow down. And everybody talks about this soft landing. Look, I'm not so sure. You know, I'm not so sure that Ooh. there's going to be a soft landing. It's uh, we didn't get a recession theoretically. Um, although we did get the old textbook definition, we, we had did negative we quarters did. of GDP. So yeah. you, you, you tell me, did we have a recession? Did we not? I, you know, if you ask the average man, I think they would say yes. I think the average you know, person and, 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 yes. and I hate when they say inflation is transitory. Then ask the average person that because let's remember the inflation rate is slowing, and that's a good thing that the rate of inflation is slowing. But what about the twenty percent that we've seen? That's already baked in. the The slowdown to three percent isn't that it's coming down through it's three percent above the 20 percent that you've right. already seen right so right. so we have seen that and uh and there's been a lot of blunders by the fed on that there's been a lot of blunders politically with all the stimulus that was added it created all this inflation and unfortunately so, a lot of this stuff does happen for political gain yeah so but even with the lower rates that political environment that we're in the issue that and i think you and i talked about this last week when we we're kind of getting ready for this was the inventory pressure will remain for housing yeah, the builders aren't building enough homes. You got two million plus right. households being formed and one point four million constructed units. So that's your supply and demand equation. There's too much supply, demand and not enough supply. Now you can delay demand and you can have you know, rates go up. That certainly delays the demand, but it also constricts the supply. If we've seen when people don't move move up purchase. So, um, but remember the thing about I, I, I hear this. People say, well, rates come down then you're going to have people who are locked into their homes from that low rate will now put their home on the market. So prices will come down because that's more inventory. I mean, are they not thinking the next step down the chess? They're playing checkers and not chess because the next step down the check chess match is that that seller becomes a buyer. They've got to live someplace. So they're going to have to occupy a unit. They're not going to go, you know, live in a tent someplace. Right. Or, you know, so they're, they're going to sell their home and buy another or, or at least take up a rental unit, but that's still eating up some of the supply. So right. you're, you're going to see inventory remain to some degree, you know, d- difficult. It's, it's going to be tight inventory. It, it, there may be more activity, but inventory will still be tight and homes will go quickly if they're priced appropriately. They'll go very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think to that point, I mean, one of the things that we're really pushing hard is this buy now, sell later program. And people can call me and talk to me about it, but I think the, the buy now, sell later program kind of addresses that where a seller can buy a house first and then we give them six months with zero interest to buy to sell their house. I think that alleviates some of the pressure, Bear, when, when some guy says, I know I can sell my house. I just don't know if I can buy a new one. That definitely takes the the pain of the decision out of the equation, right? So it becomes a no-brainer. And listen, let, let's let's understand that the average length of a home on the market, the average is 22 days. Mm. Now, what goes into average? What goes into average is you've got a lot of people that are just ridiculous in their pricing and they've got unrealistic price expectations or people that don't have to sell. They say, oh, I'll put up for a crazy number. And so it sits for four or five or six months. That takes that average and drags it higher. The real average amongst homes that are priced appropriately, mm-hmm. if you take out all that crazy you know, stuff, it's probably between two and three weeks. Wow. And that's a pretty rapid time for you to sell your home. So I don't think the issue is currently or will be 
that I'm going to have a tough time selling my home. So long as you put your home on the market appropriately, you mm-hmm. put your home mm-hmm. on the market. And listen, it's going to vary, of course, by area. Markets to markets is going to vary. But if you take an overall picture, um, you can expect to sell your home relatively quickly if it's priced appropriately. But still, uh, what you're talking about, Bobby, and what you're doing is something that really makes it a no-brainer because if the average is 22 days and the more normal time is between two and three weeks, then having that six months should give you tremendous peace of mind. Absolutely. Maybe what that does is it allows you to be more patient and capture some of the appreciation that is coming down the road because we are going to see some appreciation, right? So, I mean, you think about this, if our forecast is for 5% for the year in 2024, well, that means if you kept your home on the market for even three months, it's you know, one and a quarter percent on a, you know. Or even made some cosmetic changes or some changes to make get it back up to price level, whatever the you know, market level is. Clearly. But but even if you said just sitting there, yeah. for, let's just say three months, right? So now, now you're talking about one and a quarter percent, you know, on a on a $800,000 home, that's an extra $10,000 in your pocket. Jesus, that's a no-brainer there. Barrett, one more thing, and then I'm going to let you go here. As the rates come down, People are saying that the values of the property could increase, which could then erase the the the, the benefit of the rates decreasing. Is there no, any merit in that no, statement? No, no, because the the one part of the equation everybody forgets is income. So look, I'm going to give you a very simplistic because we're going to keep this simple here, right? Let's say in 2021, you had a one thousand dollar a month mortgage payment because the uh, the amount of the mortgage was like two forty, uh, and the mortgage rate that you got was let's say less than 3%, 2.875. And that gives you roughly, I'm giving you rough numbers here, $1,000 principal and interest, right? Don't hold me to a couple of pennies either way. Sure. 1000 bucks P&I. Your income in 2021 to qualify for $1,000 a month P&I, remember it's just P&I, would be roughly $4,000 a month. Would you agree with that, Bobby? That's yeah, about yeah. right, right? So, mm-hmm. so, but because we're not counting taxes and insurance. So, so about right. 4,000 a month P&I, uh, I'm sorry, $1,000 a month P&I, $4,000 a month would be your income. And that's 2.875 for 240. So let's fast forward to 2023. And the end of 2023, you have more expensive real estate. So let's account for that. So instead of a 240 mortgage, you need a 280 mortgage. Okay. Okay. And the rate, let's just say at the end of 2023, might have been around six and three quarters. That's the numbers that I recall to be about right. So so that would mean that your monthly payment would go up, again, I'm going to use round numbers, from 1000 to $1,800 a month. That's huge. It's $800 a month. That's an 80% increase in people's life. Clearly, that's affordable. And they're right, okay? And it's an affordability issue. But that $4,000 a month income in 2021, it doesn't have to also go up at 80%. Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. offset an $800 a month increase, that's got to go up 20%. Now, according to ADP, between 2021 to 2022, then to 2023, they've already gone up 15%. If you switch jobs, it's already gone up 20%. But what will happen in 2024 is now maybe prices go up a little bit, maybe rates come down a little bit, but incomes rise. So you can make the mathematical argument that it is somewhat similar to the affordability circumstances that existed in 2021 that will happen sometime in 2024. So the wise person gets ahead of that and looks at the future before it becomes obvious to everybody else and says, well, if inventory is tight, if affordability is catching up, then where do we think values go? And then you add to the wonderful amount of leverage that you receive. Let's think about one other equation quickly. Mm. 
$500,000 home, 10% down. So $450 mortgage. So now you have to make a payment on that. But it's somewhat similar payment renting. Maybe it might be a little bit cheaper renting initially, but then it catches up. So that's your, your housing payment that you have to have. But now your investment is $50,000. If that home goes up $5,000, of, of 5%, forgive me, 5%, mm -hmm. 5% on a $500,000 home, that's $25,000 mm -hmm. profit on a $50,000 investment. It's a 50% rate of return that you receive. Yeah. So if you're wise and you're thinking about it, it's a good time to buy real estate. And listen, I will be uh, full disclosure here. Now, I have purchased two more investment properties just in the past couple of months because I see this and I have been buying. So I, I, I believe that this is, uh, this is something that you know, people should be looking at for themselves. And if you believe in it yourself, then it's very easy to convey that message to your customer because you've done the research yourself. I think most loan officers don't dissect the way you just did. And I want to repeat what you just said is you bought a $500 house, you put 10% down, which is 50,000. It increases 5%, which is 25,000. I mean, so it's not a it's ROI. A 50, off 50, 50, 50, 50% return. Yeah, on I mean, so your investment is only 50,000. You're making 25,000 off of that. That's incredible, man. I mean, that's and that's the kind of thing that I think loan officers need to be able to share with with their consult with their clients to get the proper result in 2024. So, I Bear, I don't want to take up more of your time than we have. You are always so generous to be on the show. I appreciate you more. You, you know how I, I said on the telephone anyway. I'm not going to repeat it on air. Well, much lo much love to you, buddy. And uh, listen, God bless you guys. I appreciate you spending time with uh, with us today. And uh, Bobby, thank you for having me on. All right, brother. Have a good one. Okay, I'll talk Be to well. you. JP, get me out of here, man. <laughs>